there is a documented condition known as the Jerusalem syndrome. Um, don't look it up right now because some of you are like, we're about to fact check pastor right now. Okay, you can do it later. It's this condition that some tourists of the nation of Israel, particularly those of Jerusalem, come under this delusion that they are some particular Bible character to include sometimes Jesus, the Messiah himself. This would include them dressing the part, speaking the part, and they, they again, they, they get this delusion. And you say, what does that have to do with us here today? If you didn't know any better and you came across somebody that was wrestling with the Jerusalem syndrome, you might get a pretty distorted view of what the Bible really says. Amen? And there are some scholars that believe that's why the Apostle Paul actually wrote the book of Romans. The message of Jesus that he'd been preaching at this point for some 25 years had somehow gotten distorted. People were saying, well, he said this, well, he didn't say that. And it was getting a little, a little out of skew. And the Apostle Paul sat down and wrote what many believe is the Apostle Paul's one long, clear explanation of the gospel. So when we approach the book of Romans, understand that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's bringing some clarity. He's bringing uh, a focus on Jesus and his cross. He was writing to a group of people, a church, believers, a body of believers that was made up of some Jews and some Gentiles, meaning people of the faith and then people brand new to the faith. So you can see how there would be some, some distortion, right? And he starts right off the bat by simply declaring, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? Aren't you thankful the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his cross, it is, it, it is the power. It, that simply means supernatural, miraculous power. In fact, let's just apply it to our lives right now. If you are right with God, if you are forgiven and at peace with him, that is a miracle. Can, I, can, can you say amen? I mean, we couldn't be good enough. We couldn't be smart enough. We couldn't have a, enough good gold stars by our name. We needed a savior. We needed a savior. So it's a miracle. And Paul, boy, he gets it. Oh, that, it's Jesus. Then he goes on to say this. This is the righteousness that is achieved by faith from first to last. Then he, then he quotes the Old Testament, a righteousness that is by faith. The righteous will live by faith. That is a, that is a heavy statement. So how are you and I made right with God through Jesus? By faith. You need to hear this because maybe some of you are here today and maybe today or the last few weeks is your, your most recent attempt to re-engage with the church or the Bible or Jesus. Maybe somehow, some way you've convinced yourself you have to earn or work your way into a right relationship with, with God. And the apostle Paul just gets it. In fact, we looked Romans chapter five, especially he had this revelation. It is by faith. Aren't you thankful that God, you heard me say this last week and I hope it didn't sound too, too uh, weird, but God put the cookies of our salvation on the bottom shelf so we could reach it. Yay, God. One person got that in church. Listen, when I was going to say that, some of you were supposed to go, hmm, hallelujah, and you didn't get there. You better say hallelujah. No, I'm just kidding. 
but it is by faith. And, and the w- reason why that's so important is because there have been seasons in my life where I didn't feel saved and then I tried to work real hard and boy, that didn't work either. And, and then I just had to come to the realization that Jesus did all the heavy lifting, right? That word faith in the Greek, the original language means you can put all your weight in what Jesus did. So if you're here today, don't kind of be in with Jesus. Don't kind of uh, put your w- one leg on him, but keep the other foot in your own works righteousness or even the world. Put all your weight on what Jesus did for you. That's how we're right with God. Romans chapter nine is where we're going to be. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I really believe God has something to say. I'm I'm, I'm grinning at Eric right here because I texted him yesterday. He was giving me reports from some of his connections in the Middle East. I'm like, can you believe weeks ago we were going to be in this passage of scripture? God knew, didn't he? Romans chapter nine. The Apostle Paul is trying to bring some clarity concerning the nation of Israel. The Jewish people on the whole had rejected Jesus as the Messiah for for a myriad of reasons, but, but ultimately, and then there were some that were thinking, well, since they rejected him, well, then they're they're out. And and some of them even thought, well, if if God rejected them, then is God really one to keep his word? Are they really the chosen people? Let me put all, put, put, put all this aside. The nation of Israel, the Jewish people, are God's chosen people. Listen to me. To be a Christian is to be pro-Israel. I'm going to say it again, because I know some of our little news outlets tried to tell us otherwise. To be a Bible-believing Christian is to be pro-Israel. That does not mean that, I, that we are anti-Arab. Did you catch that? And we'll unpack that here in just a moment. But the Apostle Paul says this, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms through the Holy Spirit, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. The apostle Paul's lamenting the rejection of Jesus. Theirs is the adoption to the sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promised ancestry of the Messiah who is God over all, forever praised, amen. So the apostle Paul just laments their rejection. He connects with them, the apostle Paul again, coming from from a Jewish background and ancestry, a Pharisee of Pharisees at one point in time. And he he says, you know what? I I wish I could step in and and be sacrificed if they would come to know him as Lord and Savior. Now, here's here's the the vibe of, of these chapters. When you were growing up, did you ever go over to a friend's house and your friend got in trouble and they got a talking to, right? And, and, and then you kind of giggled. You kind of went, <laughs> you ever done that before? I had a friend of mine, we were picking on his little brother and his dad spanked him in front of me. I'm telling you, it was one of the greatest moments of my life. Is your friend's getting spanked and I, I'm not over there interceding, you know? <laughs> I'm over there going, <laughs> and he's got this look in his eyes like, please don't tell anybody. And then I giggle out loud and his dad looked at me and said, what, you want some too? 
I'm like, no, I never liked him anyway. You know, that sort of thing. No, let me help you with that. No. But it's almost like the Apostle Paul is, is, is trying to explain the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. But, but here in just a moment, it's almost like he looks at the Gentiles and goes, but you pay attention too. So that's kind of the vibe uh, that, that, we, that we got here, okay? So if you're taking notes today, there are some things that we can learn about the nation of Israel. In fact, I, I really believe that most believers need to, need to really, really pay attention to the nation of Israel and, and obey what the God's word says about it. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing I want you to get. Israel reminds us that we are saved by faith and not by works. Paul goes on to say this, it is not as though God's word has failed. There were some that thought that. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel nor because there are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac, again, he's quoting scripture here at this point, the word of the Lord. It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who regarded as Abraham's offspring. Let's pause there for just a moment. So again, the apostle Paul at this point is talking to the Jewish population of, these, of this group of believers and he, and he begins to pull out uh, prophetic words and words from the Old Testament words and phrases they would, they would connect with. Does that make sense? Here's what was going on at the time. There were some that were using their ancestry as a way of simply declaring, well, we have special, under, we have special standing with God. And Paul comes back and says, eh, you're chosen, but that doesn't make you saved. Does that make sense? Now let's apply it to those of us Gentiles on the outside. We do the same thing, don't we? Well, mom and dad took me to church. I'm good. I went on a missions trip one time and took a selfie with some people who were needing some help and I was serving and I posted it and with the special filters and I'm good. Nope. I gave in an offering one time and, and clearly, and well, my family was, was my, 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 my grandpa was a deacon in the church and you know, yada, 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 yada. No, no, that's the same argument. Paul was saying, hey, listen, nation of Israel, you are chosen. You are God's chosen mechanism for God to bring the Messiah through into a lost and dying world. You are God's chosen people, but your ancestry does not save you. And, and, and Paul breaks it down after this, okay? Let's, let's keep rolling. Verse 10, Romans 9. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac, yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau have I hated. Again, Paul is kind of reaching back into their family tree and helping them understand. Now, how many of you have heard that phrase, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated? That's back in the Old Testament. There are some people that, that look at that and go, that's terrible. The better, a better way to translate that is, is simply this. I have chosen Jacob in his line. Does that make sense? God's not going to go, ah, we're going to give them both a shot. No, no, no. He says, I've chosen Jacob in his line. Verse 14, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, 
I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Somebody shout hallelujah. Amen. The apostle Paul, again, trying to connect with people of Jewish faith and background and ancestry, he reaches way back in the book of Deuteronomy and says, God said it. I'm going to have mercy on who I had mercy on. Let's just stop for just a moment and say, thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. God, I should have been dead today, but God, I was saved. God, I should be in a ditch somewhere today, but I'm saved. God, I should be wallowing in guilt and addiction, but God stepped in in his mercy. Amen. Give the Lord a shout of praise here today for his mercy. God said, I'm going to have mercy, I have mercy on. I'm so thankful for that here today because I am really good at showing mercy to people I like. Anybody else? But God says, I'm not like you. I'm going to show mercy who I show mercy on. Let Let me just stop here for just a moment. And this is just a good reminder for the body of Christ church, okay? There will always be people in our church (laughs) who are a work in progress. Let me remind you, you and I are a work in progress. So what am I trying to say? Don't get bent out of shape if somebody comes in and they smell like Saturday night. That's why we turn the lights on. Can I have an amen? Don't be upset, parents, if your kids come to youth group, but there's some kids here that, bless God, they're not here for the right reasons. Of course not. That's why we have a youth group to reach young people, right? Well, they're not really taking it serious. They're not, they're not, they're not being discipled. Eventually, you can't clean a fish before you catch a fish. Can I have an amen? Maybe you need to help your child mature to the point where they're helping with the discipleship not even the sermon for today, and I can already feel myself getting ready to offend some people, so I'm going to back up off this thing, because you need to hear what the Lord had to say today. Okay. Here's the deal. Paul was saying your, your special ancestry, your background, your pedigree does not save you. It's his mercy shown to us through Jesus Christ, and here's the deal. Is the nation of Israel simply going to be saved and, and, and swept into heaven because of their Jewishness? No. Only because of the promise. You see, this verse emphasizes freedom of God's mercy, but it is up to us how we respond to the mercy of God. Paul goes on to say this, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, righteousness, here it is again, that is by faith. Oh, thank God. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumble over the stumbling stone. If that word seems kind of out of place, Paul is reaching back to the Old Testament prophetic description of the Messiah Jesus, as it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him, listen, this is a a real heavy statement, will never be put to shame. One of the reasons why the nation of Israel had a problem with Jesus, multiple reasons, but one of the main reasons was this. 
he was crucified on a cross. Most of them would have, would have understood the first five books of the Old Testament. And in, the, in the, original, the original scriptures, they would have heard the phrase that is cursed is the one who hangs on the tree. So the idea that their Messiah could be killed and killed in a manner like that, it was offensive. Does that make sense? So they couldn't get there. Well, no, no, that's not going to be our guy. They used that as a way to reject Jesus. And what Paul was saying, no, 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 no. That's proof of Jesus. Does that make sense? He, he hung on a tree and they're like, no, 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 no. That, that, that person's cursed. You're right. Jesus was cursed on our behalf. Come on, somebody. Scripture says, and we've already read it in Romans, that God took him who knew no sin and made him sin. Amen? He, he became sin for us, a, a sin offering. Paul, again, in Romans earlier on, he was, he was trying to connect the dots. You're using that to reject him. Paul says, no, no, no. That's a confirmation of who he is. Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. So they were ashamed of him, right? That's why he comes back and says, and those who believe in him will never be put to shame. Okay, this is real important for us to get it. So one of the biblical names or descriptive names of Jesus is a, a stone of stumbling or a rock of offense. So those with a law mindset, a religious mindset, boy, that was tough, right? No, 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 I, I got my report card. Jesus is on the cross. No, no, no. I, I got grandma and grandpa who brought me to church. Y'all tracking with me? Let me say it another way. A rock of offense, some versions say it this way. The message of Jesus and his word will at times be offensive. Okay, so, so listen to me. Let's just keep it real, especially if you're brand new with us here today. There will be times that you and I come to church. Let's, let's make it personal. There will be times that we will read our Bible and we're going to see something in there that makes us go, ouch. And we're going to wish it wasn't in there. But the problem, it is. And is, no matter how much we wish it away and sidestep it, how many of you have found those passages of Scripture that you try to sidestep the Lord just keeps bringing you back to? Right? It's kind of like when my dog misbehaves. You with me? Anybody ever look at you? We were potty training our dog and he would make a mess on the carpet and you go, look at what you did. And the dog would try to like look away. Look at it. As much as we try to look away, it's still there. Are you with me? Boy, but it offends me. It offends my friends. It offends my family members. It, 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 it offends what I, what, what I don't want anybody to know about. It, it, that's what the scripture does. That's what the Bible, that's what Jesus did. He's gonna be offensive. Why? Because Jesus is countercultural. Amen? Uh, one, one person said it this way, that men are not, not merely mad at the Bible because it contradicts itself. They're mad at the Bible because the Bible contradicts them. A rock of offense. So what am I trying to say? There are going to be some days that you will walk out of church and you're going to feel a little offended. And in today's culture, that's a thing. That's normal. There will be some days. In fact, I'll just be honest with you. There are times that I'm preparing for messages for you and I have to go to my office door and shut it. I actually look at my wife. She's my, my assistant. I'll say, hey, hold my call. <laughs> shut it. And I have to have an altar call in my office. 
because I've got to wrestle with this and ask the Lord to help me. So he's going to be offensive as part of it. But he says, those who believe in him will never be put to shame. Shame is not an issue when it comes to Jesus because he took it. Here's the second thing. Why do we want to pay attention to, to Israel? They show us that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture in the Bible. So let, let me preach, all right? Paul goes on to say this, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Let's pause there for just a moment. Okay? That is yet another scripture that goes against this doctrine or idea of predestination. Paul says it. It is my heart's desire that they be saved. Verse two, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Verse four, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone. Say that word, everyone. Say it again. Say it again. For everyone who believes. That's huge. And you've heard me say this last week, but there is this resurgence of this idea that God has already chosen who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. I believe it's a matter of semantics by people who are puffed up by knowledge. Pastor's getting direct. Oh, you better hear me. It's his will that none should perish. Is God omniscient and knows who's going to perish in hell? Absolutely he knows, but that's not his will. Are you tracking with me? It's his will that none should perish. And if you say, well, Jamie, I, I lean on the predestination side. I'm gonna give you so much scripture here in just a moment. You're gonna question everything, okay? Verse nine, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, make a note of that passage, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Can I read that again? Because somebody needs to hear that. If you declare, we're gonna break down that word in just a moment, with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth that you profess or declare, confess you are, uh, your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord to all and richly blesses all who call on him. Boy, and here we go, Romans 10, 13. Somebody needs to write this down and be reminded, everyone, 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 everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let, 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 me, let me do this. If you're a parent here today or a grandparent, you've got a lost child or a grandchild that's on the run from the Lord and you're, you're just losing sleep here tonight, they're never gonna get it. They're never gonna get it. No, 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 no. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They may be in a, a, a drunken stupor. They may be in a jail cell. They may be in the pits of depression. They may be there with a gun barrel in their mouth, but God can reach in. Come on, and all they gotta do is call on the name of the Lord. They will be saved. They will be saved. Now listen to me. If you confess with your mouth, that word, confess, is a heavy word in the original language. It's a heavy word. Confess, it's a, it's a legal term. It means, to, it means to say the same thing. 
Does that make sense? If I confess one mind, I agree. I, I speak the same thing. Let me, let, me, let me illustrate it this way. Those of you with parents, or, or <laughs> it's everybody, sorry. Uh, those of you with kids, <laughs> Whitney caught my joke. There you go. We're still the time. Those of you with kids or grandkids, have you ever given your child or grandchild an answer and you knew it was not the answer they wanted? And they got that look on their face going, okay. And then they just vanished. And then they went to your counterpart. Your husband or wife and tried to get another answer. I learned real quick in marriage, we got to get on the same page. In fact, I just have a phrase. Go ask your mother. It's just easier that way, right? We will say the same thing whether I agree or not. My dad had a saying, whenever I didn't like what my mama said, he'd say, son, listen, sit down. Yours is not to reason why. Yours is but do or die. <laughs> yes, some of y'all got that same speech, didn't you? means to say the same thing. I agree with. I'm going to say the same thing. Okay? If you agree, I have one mind. And then Paul says this, that Jesus is Lord. Now, this is a... This is the line of demarcation. I really believe this with the church, the true church. Paul has that over and over in the book of Romans, capital L, Lord. Nowhere in the Bible, the New Testament especially, do you see that we can come to Jesus and say, yeah, he's my savior. And then I'm good. In fact, in the New Testament, he's only referred to as Savior as 14 times. Now listen to me. But he's referred to as Lord over 400 times. The Bible clearly states and teaches, I have to agree that he is Lord. And that word leaves no wiggle room. Do we have that definition up? not, I'll read it. It's not on the screen. Let me, let me read it to you. Here's the definition of that word, Lord. It means having power, authority, control, and the right to exercise ruling power as master. Ultimately, when Jesus is Lord, I confess, I agree, I say, one mind, he is Lord. He is the one who makes all the calls. Can I have an Amen. So here's the question, Jamie, how do I know I'm saved today? Part of it is the fact that he is Lord. I am not a mistaker in need of correction. I am a sinner in need of a savior, amen? And he needs to be Lord. And I am not saved until he is Lord of my life. It doesn't mean I'm not gonna have struggles and trials and temptations and, and wrestle with this or that, but ultimately Jesus is the one who makes the call. So there are going to be some days that I don't like his call, but he's making the call. Can I have an amen? How does that look like for us on a daily basis? Have you ever been wronged or offended or hurt and you want to lash out and you want to retaliate and you want to say this and you want to do that and you've already justified? I'm really good at justifying my behavior. Anybody else? But I can't. 
Why? Because Jesus is Lord, and ultimately he gets to make the call. Paul makes it real simple right there. Here's the last thing, and we're done. Paul explains again. Now, now this is where he looks to the Gentiles and go, okay, what about you? Here we go. The nation of Israel shows us that we can be grafted into God's family. Now, this is huge, folks. Especially for those of us that have felt as if we were on the outside looking in, as if there was no way to God. Some of us are here today and we're simply trying to earn our way into a right relationship with God. The apostle Paul, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, explains to it how us Gentiles get in on this. And he says this again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Speaking of Israel, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, listen, Paul says this, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? Yes, the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel rejected Jesus first for the Jew, but all, guess what? Because they were simply following the script and didn't realize it, the message of Jesus came to us Gentiles. Can I have an amen? God can use it. But Paul says this, how much more when they start to get it? Verse 13, I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in this ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. Paul's real clear at this point too, not all are gonna be saved. So when he speaks of the nation, Um, it still comes down to the individual. Does that make sense? Verse 15, for if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance but life from the dead? Amen? He says, hey, as the the Gentiles come into the to the family as they are grafted in. He goes on to say this, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, he was speaking of of, of Gentiles, we're uh, wild olive shoots. He says this, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. That's why I say to be a Christian is to be pro-Israel. Verse 19, you will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of their unbelief. And that's the same reason, folks. Unbelief separates us. And you stand by faith. There it is again. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Again, you heard me say this, to be Christian is to be pro-Israel. That does not mean we are anti-Arab. Same reason doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I'm anti-Brazilian, anti-Russian. Come on, somebody. Anti, uh, Anti-Canadian. It's his will that none should perish. I'll end with this. There was an article posted recently of an artist in Syracuse who, in an attempt to create a tree 
that was vibrant in colors. The artist used the age-old art of grafting, and he grafted multiple types of what they call uh, fruit that come from a category of what they call stone fruit. So that'd be like cherries and peaches and plums, olives, etc. In an effort, so they have really pretty blooms. So the idea is to graft all these into one tree to create these vibrant colors. Does that make sense? When I read that article, actually Pastor Mike found the article and, and, and I loved it. I think that beautifully describes the body of Christ. That root, we were grafted in because of his mercy. Can I have an amen? And it doesn't matter here today, listen, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter your ancestry, whether you're raised in church or not. Your nationality doesn't even save you. It is our faith and belief in Jesus as Lord. Amen. That's why in the body of Christ, we're going to look different. But Jesus in his word is making the call. Amen. So my question is real blunt today. If you were here and you would be honest and say, I need to be grafted into the body of Christ. I am on the outside looking in. Maybe because of your unbelief and making, maybe lowering Jesus' category from, from Lord to, to something that, that is not Lord, you feel as if you have been broken off. Folks, you can come back today. You can be grafted in by faith. Paul uses the nation of Israel to show us. If that's you here today, you say, Jamie, that's me. I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. I am my own Lord. I am making the calls. I'm not living for the Lord here today. And you'd be honest and say, well, what does that mean for me? Well, the Bible is very clear. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I say it here at Woodlake like this every week. God loves you. And there is nothing you can do about it. You missed last week's message. Go back and listen to it. His word says that he loved us so much, he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to pay our penalty once and for all, for all of our sin, all of our mistakes. And boy, here it goes, the apostle Paul and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved.